Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Mind Movement Health Podcast. This week on the show, I have a lovely guest, Dr. Jesse Haymeyer. Now, Dr. Jesse Haymeyer is the physician founder of Well Empowered, where she practices data driven, outcome oriented functional medicine. Now, working with one on one, with groups, or in delivering corporate webinars, Dr. H provides the information, inspiration, and strategies needed to produce sustainable and transformative health outcomes. Now, I loved my conversation with Dr. Jessie today. She is a wealth of knowledge. We dive into all things functional medicine, what it is, how it can help us, how we can get off the weight loss roller coaster, and why science and data-driven, you know, approaches are so important when it comes to our health. So I really hope you enjoy this conversation and let's have a listen in. Hi. I'm Kate Boyle, and welcome to the Mind Movement Health Podcast. Each week, I'll be bringing you health information from diet and lifestyle to movement and nutrition. My aim is to bring you bite-sized pieces of information that you can instigate into your everyday life to change your health. everyone and welcome back to the Mind Movement Health Podcast. I have an amazing guest on the show today, Dr. Jessica Haymeyer. Welcome to the show. I am so excited to have you on today. Thank you so much, Kate. It's such a pleasure to be here with you and your audience. So before we dive into our topic today, can you share a little bit with the audience about who you are and what your specialty is? Yeah. So as you said, I'm Dr. Jessica Haymeyer, and I am a data-driven functional medicine physician. I also like to call it data-driven natural medicine. Some people may have heard of the term functional medicine. Some people maybe not, but really what functional medicine is, is it's an approach to identifying identifying and addressing the root cause of people's health challenges, symptoms, conundrums, and addressing those root causes. And I do that using natural measures. So uh, lots of different ways that we assess the root cause of someone's health conundrums. And ultimately, we use natural interventions to help the body heal. And not only, um, you know, allowing people to arrive at a place where they don't have the symptoms or the challenges, but also where we're seeing those numbers, the numbers that we find in their labs out of the gate, start to shift over time. So that's the data-driven part that I'm really speaking to. Yeah. And I love the data-driven part because I think we can gain so much insights from utilizing these tests. And sometimes, you know, you do get some tests done at the doctor, but they're maybe not as thorough as what they need to be. And I think that's where, from my experience with functional medicine, they just really deep dive into all areas. Yes, definitely, definitely, definitely. When I work with people, um, you know, the first step of working with someone I think of is like, I'm putting on my detective hat, right? I'm really trying to understand what is going on with someone's body from a lot of different angles that a more traditional approach wouldn't consider, right? And in that detective work, I'm also looking for missing information. What are the missing puzzle pieces? And those missing puzzle pieces are labs. And more often than not, when I send people to go get labs done, I let them know, I'm like, you know, you're going to feel like you're donating blood, right? We're getting so much information 
And I'm going to be looking at it in a very unique way, right? I'm not looking at it from a normal versus abnormal perspective. Well, you know, maybe at first glance, yes, but well beyond that, really trying to understand the nuances of the information to understand, uh, you know, what's at the source of the symptoms, what's at the source of the health challenges, uh, and in understanding that, you know, labs are really a guide to help us see how your body is functioning and where it's struggling to function at its optimal uh, abilities. And I think too, so much of, from my experience, general modern day Western medicine is treating the symptoms and band-aiding the symptoms rather than getting to the root cause, which I think is another area where functional medicine tends to shine. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Identifying and addressing the root cause, right? And and we're kind of like brought up in this perspective of like, okay, quick fix, quick fix. What's the pill for an ill approach? And, you know, by the time someone walks in my virtual door, right, they've had, they've tried pretty much every quick fix under the sun, a lot of them, right? And so they're, they're over that and they're really ready to understand how to arrive at a permanent solution right? And it really is a journey, right? It's more often than not, we're looking at a couple of months of collaborating. But the great news about that is, Kay, is that at the, you know, when we come to the end of that shared journey together, people are left knowing how to care for their bodies such that their health and vitality shines, such that they're free of symptoms, such that they're, you know, really empowered by their health in a way they've never been empowered by their health before. It's, you know, it's just really what becomes available when people are addressing the root cause of their health challenges and conundrums. Yeah. And I'm assuming you, you know, generally for all of us that are in the health field, we've had some type of own personal experience that has led us to this area. So I'm. A, can you share yours with, with me yeah, and the well, listeners? Well, sure. It's like, gosh, where to start, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> it's part of the fun of being human. We have these bodies that need tending to, and sometimes they let us know, right? So for me, I would say there were a few different areas where this functional medicine approach really altered the trajectory of my life. Um, the first one was as it pertains to, I like to call it the weight loss roller coaster, right? I rode the weight loss roller coaster for probably, oh, I don't know, a decade and a half or so. I, I, I really drew a line in the sand towards the end of my 20s. And understanding the science between uh, metabolic barriers and how to support my body um, to optimize metabolism really in service of just feeling my best, right? Because for me, I got around that time in my life that, you know, the the weight loss roller coaster it was far less about the scale and way more about how it was interfering with my ability to be fully freely connected to others and contribute you know in a meaningful way because i was you know distracted by this up and down kind of experience with food and with the scale and all those different things and so once i really got what it was costing me that it was interfering with my ability to fully contribute i drew a line in the sand and started to move forward with a commitment to understand my health and my body, which ultimately led me 
to get my doctorate and my master's and do what I'm doing, right? So so that was that part of the journey, but also along the way, right? Somewhere in there, definitely a healthy helping of adrenal fatigue, right? That came with the the doctorate. And um, and then also in addition to that, my own you know, kind of like GI dysbiosis sort of stuff. Uh, so through the, you know, over the course of a couple of decades, I've used this work on myself and I, you know, have experienced the huge difference it makes. And it's always such a joy to bring it to others and have people experience that same wow, aha kind of moment, uh, moments really over time when they, when they see their body healing when they start to feel better, when they start to feel better in their clothes, when they start to feel better moving throughout their day, or they have the energy or zest or mood that they know really supports them. Yeah. And I think it's that holistic health, isn't it? That, you know, it's not just looking good or just feeling good. It's connecting everything, mind, body, and spirit together. Definitely. And there's always more, right? There's always more to learn, right? My husband and I, we actually, uh, I work remotely, remotely, I call it, I work remotely, remotely from, from Switzerland. And it's a great adventure. And one of the big things about being here that I've seen is really like on a whole new level, that socializing element of our health and well-being, you know, being someplace where I speak a different language and I'm looking to make new connections and trying to find my way there, right? Really understanding on a whole new level um, how important it is to be with people and just those little connections we have every day, right? So there, there is always something more to learn and a new uh, puzzle piece to, to elevate, really. Yeah, well, I love that you said that. I actually lived in Switzerland myself in Gestad for six months um, teaching Pilates. Yeah, um, and I loved it. But the same thing, I, you know, main main language is English, little bit of French, little bit of Italian, and they are so amazing at speaking so many different languages that, yeah, to get out, to meet people, to connect with people. And the amazing thing that I found when I was there is I was there during the ski season and there would be 80, 85-year-olds skiing down the mountains, still connecting, still moving, whereas that's not generally, you know, what we tend to see in Australia for 85-year-olds. One, we don't have a lot of snow, but that sort of level of activity isn't normal in my experience. Yeah. And in the same thing, certainly in the US, right? Definitely, definitely. I think Australia is doing way better than the US in the way of health metrics, I would imagine, right? As people age. But um, but yes, it is it is so inspiring to see uh what a high priority the entire country places on their health and well-being and moving. You know, it's like, I mean, you know from living here, right? Sunday, everything's closed. closed. And people yeah. are just out <laughs> enjoying life. Like everything is closed. It's so funny, right? Yeah. And then even on a weekday, things close at five or six. Like mm. things just close and people go do other things. You know, people are out of the shops and out in the mountains and walking around and moving and using their bodies and loving it. It's great. Yeah. Well, I did get caught out because when I didn't realize anything was open on a Sunday, I was like, what do you mean nothing's open on a Sunday? Like, this is not what I'm used to. Here, everything is open all the time. You can always get something from everywhere. 
But it just meant you had to plan ahead a little bit better. And yes, you spent your Sunday, you know, connecting with friends and family and exercising and moving your body rather than doing all the chores and shopping. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, you mentioned the weight loss roller coaster, which I'm sure many of us can relate to at some point in our lives, and also metabolic barriers. So what are some of those metabolic barriers that may keep us on that weight loss roller coaster? Yeah, so I would say there are three really common metabolic barriers, and um, I hate to break the news because I feel like a lot of people want it to be this. It's it's often not the thyroid. It's in fact, I would say it's rarely the thyroid. It's so funny. I I feel like people would get excited when they find out they have a problem with their thyroid because they think it's just going to like solve everything. Right. And, and certainly if you do think you have a problem with your thyroid, we absolutely want to make sure that is assessed appropriately. And, and certainly if someone is riding the weight loss roller coaster, I do test the thyroid in many, many ways, not just one test, but about five. So I want to get that out of the way, but way more often than not, it is not the thyroid. And even if it is the thyroid, it's very rarely just the thyroid, right? So uh, the top three metabolic barriers, the first one that I see commonly is elevated inflammation. So elevated inflammation, right? A lot of people, I'll, I'll talk to some, talk to people and they'll say, oh, I'm really inflamed. And I'll ask them a little bit more about that. Tell me how that's showing up in your body. They might say, oh, my joints hurt or I'm bloated or my skin's red. And, and it's true. Those, those might be signs or symptoms of inflammation, but more often than not, people have elevated inflammation and they don't even know it. And how we find out is through a blood test through a lab test, right? Inflammation is a measurable phenomenon. It's not just an idea, right? There are actual tests we can do to measure inflammation. So on anyone who's walking through my front door, virtual front door, uh, you know, struggling with their weight, we are definitely going to look at inflammation. We're going to look at it in at least two ways. And those two ways are HSCRP and homocysteine. So HSCRP, which stands for high sensitivity C-reactive protein and homocysteine. Those are two things I'm going to test in anyone who is struggling to lose weight. And that HSCRP for that person, I want to see it less than 1.5. Homocysteine, I want to see it between six and eight. A lot of labs, they'll, they'll go up to, you know, 11 or 12 with that homocysteine. No way. I want to see it between six and eight. So we want it optimal for your metabolism. And, you know, so that's inflammation number one. The second most common metabolic barrier is suboptimal insulin sensitivity. And what I mean by that, that sub, all those words are really important. I don't mean lab normal versus, you know, uh, you know, it's not black or white normal versus abnormal. What we're looking for is optimal again in this insulin range. And for fasting insulin, when it's not in its perfect range, the insulin levels are going to rise and insulin is going to cue your body to store fuel, aka store fat. So we really want to know what your fasting insulin levels are. I'd like to see this at eight or less, the upper level of most labs. So for most labs, it'll be normal until about 18 or 19. We want to see it a lot lower than that. 
Uh, and there are a lot of different ways if it is elevated that we go about helping your body hear that message of insulin better. So the second one is that insulin sensitivity. The third one is detoxification pathways that are, I'm going to use fancy terms here, gunked up. <laughs> so gunked up detox pathways. And what we know about that is, um, you know, when our to- our talk, to- when we have more toxins in our body than ideal, it's going to alter our hormones. So our hormones go through our detox pathways, just as do, you know, the toxins we're exposed to in day-to-day life, whether it's pollution or products we're putting on our skin or things that are in our food, whatever the case may be, our, those are going to go through our, our detox pathways, but so too are our hormones as well as um, the end products of, of our metabolism. So when those detox pathways are gunked up, it's really going to interfere with our ability to lose weight. Now, there are some fancy schmancy tests we can do for detox pathways. But, you know, one of the ways I start to look at, you know, answering the question, do I think this person, am I concerned about their detox pathways? Um, One thing is what is going in and what is coming out right? What is going in and what is coming out? So through a detailed conversation, if I hear a lot of toxins are going in, whether that's personal care products or alcohol or, um, you know, the food they're eating, things like that. Uh, And then what is going out? Are they having daily, regular, healthy bowel movements? That is one of the way we get rid of our toxins. There's a great saying that is, we're not just what we eat, we're what we don't excrete. So if we're not getting rid of our toxins through our bowel movements and our urine, then we are reabsorbing them. And then the other way is, are they getting out right as someone, you know, uh, drinking enough water, flushing it out, out their toxins in that way too. So those are some of the ways I start to understand the detox pathways, but there certainly are some, you know, fancy schmancy tests and, and even just understanding B vitamin status and some antioxidants can help us understand how those detox pathways are working. Um, so yeah, so the three top, top reasons people have, you know, like their, their metabolism is slowed down. Their metabolism has its foot on the brake. That first one was inflammation. The second one was suboptimal insulin sensitivity. And the third one is detox pathways gunked up. So when it comes to inflammation, obviously, you know, besides optimizing our detox pathways, where can someone start to look at lowering their inflammation? Yeah, so um, certainly in nutrition. So nutrition is a huge point of leverage. And without, I, I will certainly say more than this, but I'm going to invite your listeners to really just reflect on what, what, you know, there's a lot of noise out there on, ref, on nutrition, right? Ketogenic versus, uh, intermittent fasting versus AIP versus, you know, yada, yada, yada. We could go on and on and on, but I'll, I'll give you each and all a little quiz here. And the first question I'm going to ask you is, what do you believe has more anti-inflammatory benefits? Um, cauliflower or a uh, deep dish pizza. I'm from Chicago, so I have to say deep dish pizza. Um, <laughs> so cauliflower or deep dish pizza. What what do you think has more anti-inflammatory benefits, right? I'm going to let you answer that for yourselves, people, right? Uh, another question might be, um, what do you think has more anti-inflammatory benefits? 
uh, green tea or a large Coca-Cola, right? So you can, you know, I, I'm saying these things, right? Because these are fairly obvious answers, right? So what we're looking for in, in reducing inflammation is adding things to the body that are anti-inflammatory. So certainly our cruciferous vegetables, lots of great research on cruciferous vegetables, lowering that HSCRP. So cruciferous vegetables being things like cauliflower, broccoli, kale, uh, Brussels sprouts, all those wonderful veggies. And then we have, you know, lots of different things we can lean into for other anti-inflammatory benefits. So that's your green tea, um, cinnamon or ginger, uh, turmeric, either as a supplement, if it's in the right form. And I definitely want to stress that there's a lot of um, not so great turmeric supplements out there, but there are also are some really effective turmeric supplements out there. You just want to make sure you've got the right one. Um, so those are, you know, some of the ways that we can start to reduce inflammation. And then, of course, one of the nice things is, is that if you can just give a little more attention to those anti-inflammatory foods and things, you'll, you'll naturally start to crowd out some of the things that are more pro-inflammatory. Um, something else that's pro-inflammatory is, you know, not getting enough sleep right? That actually is going to elevate inflammation. So making sure we're getting enough sleep is a great way to lower inflammation, making sure we're moving, but also have enough time to recover from our exercise. Um, you know, those, those, all of those things are really useful. Hi, everyone. I'm interrupting this podcast to let you know that you can download a free 15-minute core Pilates workout that I've designed especially for you to work your entire body and your core, including your pelvic floor and deep layer of abdominals to really build strength, stability, and mobility. This is a nice quick workout you can fit into your day. It's definitely 100% doable. You don't need any equipment to do it. And I guarantee once you finish your 15 minutes of Pilates, you will feel stronger, more energized, taller, and really joyful and happy for moving your body and getting those endorphins moving. So don't forget, head on over to the show notes and download that free core workout and try some Pilates with me. I can't wait to see you on your mat. I was going to say, and the one that I always touch on with my uh, clients is stress. That seems to be a big one too. Oh, such a good one, Kate. Yes, absolutely. The stress is, it, it just wreaks havoc on everything, doesn't it? <laughs> So much so. And it's one of those, it's like almost one of those silent things that people don't realize. A client of mine in the studio came in last week and, you know, she said she'd seen the Cairo and then she had an issue with her back after seeing the Cairo. Like she couldn't get out of the car. It kind of froze up and she couldn't understand. Nothing had been different. You know, nothing had changed. And I said, you know, you have a loved one at the minute that's going through cancer. You have a lot going on. There's a lot of stress there. So maybe your day-to-day -day life doesn't seem too much different. You can't sort of pinpoint one thing that's happening. But I said, the amount of stress on your body at the minute is super high. So that can be a huge contributor to, you know, physical pain and it manifesting in the body. And she was like, oh, yes, that that definitely could be something. Yeah. that And that's that's so well said. That is so well said. Great. You know, and and she's lucky to have you 
pointing that out to her, right? And, you know, for a lot of people, it's, it's so interesting, right? I, I think that people um, more and more are starting to give up being mesmerized by like more, 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 you know, there's, it's starting to slowly shift where, but there is a little bit of like badge of honor for being like as stressed as possible, right? There are definitely some, sometimes, you know, working with people, it's like, okay, we've got to make our way to that topic of how are we going to reduce stress? Because people get a little addicted to that, that cortisol pop that like, you know, adrenaline rush over and over and over again, to the point where it really costs them, you know, their health in a very meaningful way. I mean, I can say that from a personal experience, and it it really took some uh, rewiring to no longer kind of crave that adrenaline rush in a way that I used to. Um, but it, you know, every, every little step forward to, to reduce those, um, you know, that hit of adrenaline, whether it's coming from the pace that we're living our life or the food we're eating, or even from, you know, an infection of sorts, whether it's latent or full blown, everything we can do an injury, everything we can do to reduce those stressors is a vote for the foundation of our health and vitality. Yeah, agree. And you bring up a really good point because I don't think that many of us know that we can almost become addicted to getting that sort of, you know, hit of adrenaline and cortisol and being in that busy mode all the time. And as you said, we kind of wear it as a badge of honor. But if we can look back to a point in our lives where potentially there was, you know, a traumatic event or there was some type of event that made us feel that we had to act in a certain way and potentially we've never closed off that trauma loop, then we kind of get stuck in that needing that hit of cortisol to keep going and then we sort of own it like it's part of our personality and sometimes exploring some of those earlier traumatic events, Nick's, you know, doing it obviously carefully, whether or not it's with, you know, a psychologist, a psychiatrist or a counselor as something can actually help your overall health and overcoming that sort of addiction too. Well said, well said. I, I haven't heard that term before trauma loop, but I can hear what you're pointing to there. Yeah, that's, that's really great. And Also, I want to touch on, you mentioned homocysteine, which I think is something that maybe a lot of our listeners don't know much about. Can you just share a little bit more about what homocysteine is and what we can do to help lower that as well? Yeah, absolutely. So homocysteine, on one hand, I think of it as an inflammatory marker, but also It is a stopping point on the way to become two really important and physiological products. So you can kind of think about it like a train stopped that is at a fork in the road and it can go to one, one direction and go to a final station, or it can go in a, you know, left and go to one station, right and go to another station. So when this train is stopped at this homocysteine stop, it means that it's not moving on to either destinations very well. So if it's built up there, right? And what why we care about those two end destinations that, you know, we can call it the, the right fork of that destination, so to speak, is something called glutathione, which is our body's most potent antioxidant. So we know if homocysteine is high, we're not appropriately 
producing that glutathione. And again, glutathione is our body's most potent antioxidant. And then on the other side, if, if that train were kind of, you know, to go to that left work, it becomes something called acetinosylmethionine, also known as SAMe. And that SAMe is kind of like a light switch for our genes. It helps control our genes well. It helps turn genes on. We want to be on and it helps turn genes off. We want to be off. And so when that homocysteine is high, it means that we're not sufficiently producing that most powerful antioxidant glutathione or that, that, you know, light switch that controls our genes really well. That's SAMI. And how we can help our homocysteine kind of, you know, grease the tracks and become those two end products, you know, really simply put from a supplemental standpoint, um, B12 folate and B6, those are the most powerful, um, ways to help that homocysteine move along to become those end products. And typically that will work well. Sometimes depending on the person, I might, in depending on how high their homocysteine is, I might use a B complex. So we're covering all the B vitamins and supporting pathways that way. For someone else, I might be a little bit more targeted and hit that B12 folate B6 a little more specifically. That's going to be dependent on what their labs say. But we definitely should see that homocysteine move over time. And then, you know, certainly there are exceptions, right? I, I can think of a, a woman who I worked with who she had gone through IVF and, um, you know, had gone, try, you know, tried to get pregnant using IVF maybe, oh my goodness, like four times. Mm. And her homocysteine was high. And we went through a traditional, uh, you know, like homocysteine lowering protocol for her it didn't come down, it didn't budge. So then we did another test to better understand her enzymes that were not working very well. Uh, so there are tests you can do to understand, okay, which enzymes really need support. And so um, the enzymes that need support help us understand which nutrients to give because different enzymes need nutrient, different nutrients to work well. So for her body, we figured out the key we went after it. She she went and started taking those supplements. We checked her homocysteine again a couple of months later. It came down and I said to her, like, oh my gosh, Kristen, I'm just saying, like, I just would not be surprised if you got pregnant. And um, she was in her early 40s at that point. She did end up going back to IVF and she now has a two-year-old son. So, uh, you know, it's just one of those things where she had tried everything she knew to do. Uh, and, and really for her body, that was the key piece to a healthy pregnancy. And it makes sense, right? Because as I was saying, you know, yes, we have that when that homocysteine is elevated, we're not producing that antioxidant well, but we're also not controlling genes well. And we need to be controlling genes very well to make a healthy baby. Yeah. So these are all the things that can be happening. You know, sometimes people just think, oh, what's wrong? What can I do? Or it's, you know, the IVF's not working. But like you said, test don't guess. If you can get these labs done, it can give you much more of an insight to really target the areas you need to work on. Absolutely. And, you know, to your point that test, test don't guess, you know, when I get people's labs back when I get a notice that I have someone's labs available. I'm like a kid before Christmas. I get so <laughs> excited, right? Because we're going to learn something. We're going to, you know, it's like, I never, I promise I cannot guess what's wrong with you. If I could, 
I would, I mean, that would be an amazing superpower. I can't do it, but you know, we do have the tests to understand and those, those are really powerful. Yeah. A hundred percent. And speaking about, you know, tests and supplements, I'm assuming, you know, from the, the examples that you've given, you use supplements with your clients. I do with mine and I take them myself, but I know I've heard many health experts sort of say that we shouldn't need to take any supplements. Uh, the research I've done, you know, the soil levels are depleting. Sometimes people don't have an optimized diet. Sometimes they're not metabolizing, you know, their gut health isn't fantastic and they're not absorbing the food hundred percent from the, the nutrients from their food that they're eating. So for me, these are the reasons I include, you know, supplements in for myself and for others, but what are your take when it comes to supplements? Yeah, I want to supplement according to someone's needs. So not everybody gets the same supplements, right? And so labs help me understand what supplements are going to best support the person in front of me. And my wish for people is over time is to guide them such that they arrive at a place where they need the least number of supplements to get the health outcomes they're most committed to right? And for different bodies, that's going to mean different things, right? There are some people who, you know, they do, I can think of a a couple of people who like, they have the autoimmune thing going, right? They have a couple of autoimmune disorders. Their supplement cabinet's going to be pretty full, right? Versus someone else who doesn't have that going on and, and, and has taken really good care of their body for a long time, Versus someone else who maybe they don't have the autoimmune thing going on, but maybe they have been focusing all of their energy and attention on different areas of their life. And they're, you know, in their late fifties and they woke up and they're like, oh my gosh, I have a body and I, wow, I guess I should start taking care of this body of mine. (laughs) Right. So, you know, it happens, right? So that person's probably going to have a pretty decent collection of supplements also, but, but certainly, um, you know, there are others who they'll, maybe they'll need one supplement, two supplements, three supplements. Those people are, I don't typically see them a whole lot, but I do see them once in a while. Uh, But the the whole name of the game is, okay, what is going to be useful for this person? And by useful is what's going to allow us to, you know, have them have the health that, you know, they feel their best. And we look at their labs and we're, we're pretty darn confident. We're voting heartily for their longevity and health. Yeah. And I think that's where too, you know, you don't just have your labs done once and you never have them done again. You have the follow-up labs done. And as you make changes, the supplements you may need to take may change depending on how your levels come back. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Supplements change over time. And, and that's why, you know, we test out of the gate and then we test again over time and we shift supplements accordingly. Um, so, you know, it's, I think it's fun when we, when someone arrives at a place and we can say like, okay, those four supplements, you don't need them anymore. They, they did their job. Let's move on. Yeah. That's exciting. I think if you get to that point, well done, if you do get to that point to anyone listening now for listeners that are sort of listening in and thinking, oh, Dr. Jesse is saying amazing things and yes, I, I want to start something and I do want to change, you know, my health. Maybe I'm carrying a little bit too much weight. Maybe I'm a bit fatigued. You know, I don't have the energy levels I'd like. Where would you suggest that they start? So uh, 
in the way of where would someone start? So in life, the first place I invite people to start is by doing a little bit of time traveling. So doing a little bit of time traveling and moving to a five-year future, forward to a five-year future, and tell the story, right, in this five-year future, if you could just click your heels and have your health occur as you intend and desire it occur, what would that story of you be, right? So actually start to tell that story of you in five years from now with your health and vitality as you intend and desire it be. And what would it be like to be you? You know, what would it be like to get dressed in the morning and go about your day, whether that's going to work or going to the store or interacting with friends or loved ones? What would that be like in that five-year future with your health handled? So starting to tell that story and experiencing that as a real possibility, right? That, that future pull of your intention for your health in your life. So that's where I invite everyone to start to think. And then, and then, you know, with that, when you're ready to take that next step and, you know, if it does include reaching out to work with someone to guide you to fulfill in that five-year future, for me, I mean, it would be a total pleasure to, to look at collaborating and, you know, like logistically speaking, people can find me at wellempowered.com and, um, you know, any of your listeners are invited to schedule a complimentary consultation to learn more about working together, explore participating in a course, all those great things. Um, but really doing it from, you know, what would be possible for you in your life with your health handled. And for people that are listening in, I think sometimes there's a barrier where people think, I need to see my doctor in person. Like I just, I can't do it over, you know, Zoom or telehealth. It just doesn't work. How do you know, what do you have to say for that? Being online, you know, it's obviously works really well. Yeah. I mean, I would say I am way more effective and by I am way more effective. What I really mean is the people who I work with get much better outcomes than they did back in the day when I was in an office, right? And they get much better off outcomes because we're able to really get down to business and focus on their health in a timely manner, right? Without a good, you know, the stressors of getting to the office and leaving. And we're able to work together at a cadence that really, you know, is customized for their needs versus, you know, where do they have three hours in their day to leave and come see me and then leave and go back. Right. So, uh, so yeah, really simply put it, it, it truly is Kate, um, more effective for people. People get their outcomes a lot faster in this virtual approach. Uh, the, the other thing is, you know, I, we, I've started incorporating a lot more of these online tools that help people help us communicate between sessions, right? So, so people track off of a shared Google document. They have direct email access to me. Um, but we're, you know, I give them homework that they work off of in a, in a shared Google document also. So lots of different ways that they're supported in this virtual, you know, environment that really wasn't happening as powerfully when, when it was all about being in the office. Yeah. And I think 
you know, things are changing. There is so many benefits to being online and being able to connect with amazing doctors like yourself that you wouldn't have had access to, you know, a number of years ago before things started to move online. So I think even just, you know, being able to find people and then have access to specialists is amazing too. Absolutely. Yes. The resources we can access now, like all over the world, it's, it's, it's the ultimate, you know, uh, brain power, right? Yeah, a hundred percent. Now, when we, you know, when we come towards the end of the podcast, I always, you know, leave an, uh, a final question to the end to ask our guest that if they could share just one piece of health advice that our listeners could go away and instigate straight away after listening to this podcast, what would it be? It would be to step into playing a better game. And what I mean by that is I invite you to give up playing an all or nothing game, playing a perfect or forget it game. And instead, each moment, each meal, each day, step into playing a better game, right? For some of you, this might show up as eating one less cookie right? That would be a better game than eating eight, seven, eating seven cookies would be better than a better game than eating eight cookies. <laughs> For some of you, a better game might be one less drink or taking a night off of drinking that you would have otherwise been drinking. For some of you, it might be, okay, I really wanted to work out for 60 minutes and you know this work thing happened and now all I have is 15 minutes. But I'm going to work out for 15 minutes instead of just throwing it all out the window, right? So my invitation is stepping into playing a better game versus an all or nothing game. Yeah, I love that because it's those small steps that we do consistently over time that make a huge difference. And if we are in that sort of all or nothing mindset, then it's that, oh, you know, I ate that cookie, we'll we'll start, we'll be healthy tomorrow. And the next day comes and, you know, you had that glass of wine, oh, we'll start again tomorrow. And you never actually start. Yeah, exactly. If if the only way of winning is you being perfect, like good luck, right? Because we're human beings, right? So just being in that game of wholeheartedly, like truly playing your best game. Oh my gosh. It's got, it, it's got, it's got miles and miles to it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, even thinking about it in those 1% changes that if you're just doing 1% changes, even if it's, you know, 1% a week over a month, that's a 4%, you know, improvement in a month and so on and so forth. So those small changes add up over time. And sometimes I think we lose sight of that. Definitely, definitely. And there's synergy, right? Like there's spiral up synergy. You you vote for yourself by working out for 15 minutes instead of ditching your workout altogether. Well, I bet later that night, you're going to make a better choice because you're proud of yourself. You just voted for yourself and your health, right? So you gather those 1% pretty quickly when you're taking that on. Yeah, exactly. Now, where can listeners reach out and connect with you on socials and that as well? Yeah, on social. So on Instagram, you can find me at Well Empowered. And uh, yes, as I mentioned on my website, wellempowered.com, please feel free to schedule a complimentary consultation. And um, I do offer 
both one-on-one health audits, and I'm going to be launching launching some group pilot programs coming out here in the months ahead. So if anyone is interested in either one of those, it would be such a treat to connect and explore collaborating. Amazing. Well, I'll link that all up in the show notes as well. So listeners can head there and check out the show notes and connect with Dr. Jesse. But otherwise, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been a pleasure having you on. Thanks so much, Kate. It's been such a treat to be with you and your audience. Thanks for listening into the podcast. Please hit subscribe to be updated for each time we release a new podcast.